0: All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Cory Novotny, and I'm joined today by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. Our
1: main topic for today is the NBA Conference Semifinals with the second round of the playoffs underway. We discuss which team in the East most needs to advance to the Conference Finals, Examine another first-round exit for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and question whether the Golden State Warriors deserve to still be considered the favorites before giving our predictions for the four remaining series.
2: In the Quick Hitter segment, we recap the 2019 NFL Draft that took place this past weekend in Nashville. We'll give our thoughts on some of the more notable picks of the early rounds, including number one overall pick, Kyler Murray, and the New York Giants early selection of Daniel Jones.
0: Later in the episode, we question whether the first round upsets of the Stanley Cup playoffs are good or bad for casual hockey fans in embrace debate, and break down professional sports better James Holzauer's historic dominance on the game show Jeopardy in Athletes in the News.
1: And in honor of Avengers, Endgame, and Star Wars Day, the three of us count down our favorite movie franchises in today's top five he's done it
0: So let's get started with the NBA playoffs, continuing our uh, breakdown recap of the NBA's postseason as we are now underway in the conference semifinals. Uh, So last time we kind of introduced a a, uh, game that we were playing where we were actually getting points for our selections. Well, we're recording after the f- the uh, second round has started with uh, three of the four series having one game. So, we're going to kind of table that, but we still give our predictions just not necessarily in the game format. So, let's get right into it. Let's start off with the Eastern Conference and top four teams, like we all expected, made it to this round. You have the Milwaukee Bucks taking on the Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors taking on the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, all four of these teams are in a position where they really could afford to, uh, you know, win this this series to advance to the conference finals and keep advancing, because they have a lot of questions that need to be addressed this coming off season. So the question I'm gonna pose is: Which team most needs to win this round of those four?
1: I'll go first, and this one for me is really easy. Toronto Raptors desperately need to advance here. Because one man is not—he's not even in the postseason this season—and that's LeBron James. The Raptors have no more excuses. It's time to take advantage of your dominance and make something happen in the postseason. You've got Kawhi. The future is still uncertain there. If I'm—if I'm not mistaken, if. If he wins a championship with this team, I think there's a pretty good incentive for him to stick around in Canada, even though it's an inferior country to the the USA. I think that bringing one home to Toronto might be an extra incentive for him to stay. I mean, maybe maybe he'll stay if they don't, but right now they're out of excuses. They've been good for years. Let's see some results in the postseason from Toronto.
2: So I think the answer to this question is also really easy, but I don't think it's the Toronto Raptors. I think it's the Boston Celtics, even though I am a homer for saying it's the Celtics for this question. uh, I think Kyrie leaving or not after the season all depends on whether or not the Celtics advance or not uh, deep into the postseason. And if they play like they did yesterday in game one versus Milwaukee, where they beat them by over 20 points, they're gonna uh, win 11 more games and win the championship if they play like that. That was by far the best I've ever seen the I've seen the Celtics this year. They, uh, they look dominant and for pretty much the entire game, Kyrie was uh, dynamite in the second half. Hayward has Gordon Hayward has gone slowly, um, better and better throughout the year. He hasn't, hasn't been like Paul George where he comes back from the injury and he's immediately, uh, back to being Paul George, Gordon Hayward. He's had to really grind it out this year. Uh, and he was making some, uh, some nice shots early in that first half. And, uh, Horford was probably the best player uh, in game one he shut down Giannis and even when he wasn't on him Aaron Baines was doing a great job and especially during those double teams as well Giannis is the heart of that team and he did absolutely nothing in that game I don't expect that to continue but as the one sort of one-man show on that team I don't know if the Bucks can uh, pull out a win in this series even though they were the best team in the regular season
0: so when I, I first thought about this question, my, my initial reaction was either Toronto or Boston. You know, the Raptors have Kawhi Leonard set to be a free agent. The Celtics have Kyrie Irving. Those are, after Kevin Durant, the number two and three uh, biggest prizes of this upcoming offseason, and would be blow to both teams for them to uh, lose them. And you would think that advancing further into the playoffs would do them a better chance of, of retaining those guys. But I think in the case of both Kawhi and Kyrie, there's, there's reason to believe that their decision is already somewhat made. And I think that Kawhi Leonard, just given his experiences so far in Toronto, the fact that we haven't really heard... Any report saying that oh he's he's seriously considering leaving he wants to go to LA he wants to get out of Toronto makes me think that you know maybe that's not a a situation where we're going to lose him and that it's going to be like Paul George with the Thunder last year where he decides to stay Um, and then in the case with the Celtics is even if Kyrie Irving decides he wants to go to New York play with Durant on the Knicks or go go to the Lakers team up with LeBron wherever Celtics still have a lot of young talent they still have a lot of great assets that they could either use to trade for a guy like Anthony Davis or just continue to build around uh, moving forward. So to me, I'm going with the team that's the number one seed in the East and has arguably the NBA's best player. That's the Milwaukee Bucks. They won 60 games this season. And yes, they're in uncharted territory. This is not a team that has, like the Raptors, had this regular season success. But Giannis Antetokounmpo, after the season, only has two years left on his contract. He's getting into that time where he's going to start thinking whether he wants to play the the prime of his career with the Bucs or if he wants to move on and he wants to go to a a bigger city, a bigger market where he can just continue to grow his stardom. If the Bucs lose in the second round, they have Chris Middleton, who he was an all-star this year. He's set to be a free agent, and if they lose him, then the Bucs are in a really difficult position because I'm sure that a lot of guys want to play with the honest, but do they necessarily want to go to Milwaukee? So the best way to do that is to win. And when you win 60 games in the regular season, 45 by double digits, losing in the second round, even against a talented team like the Celtics, it's kind of inexcusable. So to me, it's, it's the Bucs most need to win this because I think that long-term, they have a ton to lose, even if it may not be immediately this offseason.
1: It's a good point. I, uh, I I I look just from looking on the outside. It is nice to see them on this huge incline, but you're right. Can they continue it if they just kind of flutter out here in the second round?
0: Yeah, and they're they're in one of those unfortunate situations where you know a lot of times you say teams need to learn how to lose before they can learn how to win, but they don't really have that kind of time. They had. The past four years to do that, and they could never be better than the the sixth seed and put themselves in a real position to advance out of the first round. Now they're the one seed. They gotta, they gotta show that they're really a a legitimate threat and not just a regular season one and done.
2: You can even make a case for the Sixers because Embiid has talked about trusting the process for all these years, and where has it gotten them? Really, they've gotten the second round. They don't have Markel Fultz anymore. Who knows what Jimmy Butler is going to do after the season. Brett Brown is a few games away from getting fired after the season. It looks like I don't know what the real plan is for the
1: Sixers right now. But I mean, if you're you're Toronto, though, like I feel like losing at this point would be such a huge disappointment because it it does feel like it's been like LeBron has been the stopping. I don't character.
2: remember. Was there a time when they lost in the postseason and it wasn't versus LeBron? Or has it, has it been against LeBron every single time? <laughs> they lost to the
0: Wizards in, I think, 2015, but it's three years in a row they lost to LeBron and the oh Cavs. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, so with Toronto, they are facing an immediate rebuild if Kawhi Leonard leaves. But I do like the, the, the idea of talking about the 76ers because they have, like you said, Jimmy Butler – and Tobias Harris, who they traded for, they mortgaged some key players on their bench, uh, part of their future, particularly Landry Shamet, the rookie, who is uh, the big prize to the Clippers in that deal. If they lose in the second round again, and they they lose some of these guys in free agency, you know, they have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, but you got to start to wonder: is what's it going to take for them to be a top two team in this conference? Because that'd be two years in a row as a three seed. two years in a row where they lose to a rival in the conference semifinals so I do think that there is a lot of a lot of questioning that needs to happen in Philly and they're in another situation where it's kind of like they they went from the bottom of the league to almost the top of the league but what's it going to take to get them truly to the top
2: yeah I agree I mean the, the trust in the process I don't I mean, I love Joel Embiid, but outside of him, I mean, yeah, Ben Simmons is great, but he can't shoot the basketball, which is, I know why that they have these other players that can shoot, like J.J. Redick and Tobias Harris and so on, but uh, I don't see them as a championship team at the moment, and I'm not sure uh, what their plan is for the future if they can't re-sign Butler or Tobias Harris after this season.
0: Yeah, the it'll be an interesting offseason for sure for all four of these teams. Now that we say who most needs to win, who do we actually think is going to win? So let's start off with the Celtics and the Bucks. The Celtics beat Milwaukee by 22 on the road in game one to take that 1-0 series lead. This is part of the reason why I, I didn't want to continue to do this game because I would have said Bucks in seven, but the fact that Milwaukee played that bad in week one, that the Celtics were able to get that kind of convincing victory has me fully thinking the Celtics are going to win this series.
2: So I'll, I had the Celtics in six before yesterday, but after yesterday, that helps my case even more. uh, I'll admit. Uh, But when you look at the teams in this series, if I were to draft the top 10 players in on both teams, I, I would probably take eight out of 10 from Boston outside of Giannis and uh, Middleton when he gets hot at times I, I really like the Celtics roster um, so much more and now that the drama has gone away a little bit where uh, this entire year it's been up and down constantly where they're playing together but then all of a sudden they're hating each other uh, yesterday they've, they've never had more fun as they've had all year and uh, I, think, I think it's going to continue I don't think they're going to win by 20 every game But I think the Celtics uh, are going to win this series now, and I'll say Celtics in six.
1: I I just can't, I can never predict the Celtics correctly because whenever I'm high on them, they disappoint me. And whenever I'm low on them, they play amazingly. I I agree, I think they have a, a better roster throughout. When they play as well as they can play, like we said last round, they made their blood sacrifice to the basketball gods uh, when they lost Marcus Smart. So they've got they've got that on their side. They've got that going. But that will only take them so far. Uh, they need their whole team to play well, I think, if they want to take down. yeah, I mean, like Giannis is not going to stay down. Just because he wasn't a huge impact in game one doesn't mean that he's, they're going to be able to shut him out of this series. I fully expect Giannis to take things into his own hands and try to stretch this series out. And I would really love to see this one uh, go to seven games and really get to see everything that both these teams have.
0: I, th- I think uh, brian is a little, sleeping on the bucks a little bit there saying eight out of ten celtics uh yeah, obviously Giannis and middleton are the only two all-stars but eric bledsoe is a solid player i know uh that he was a who also got shut down rival. by
2: terry Rozier last yeah, year. yeah oh i know i know
0: but that doesn't mean he's not he's not still a really good player brooke lopez has been phenomenal this year and a really a key part to this team malcolm brogdon's hurt he's they know he won't be back until at least game three, but he's still someone you have to throw out. Milwaukee's a talented team. They didn't accidentally win 60 games. Going into the series, my thought was really, who can win on the road? And that's what's going to make the series. If, because now Milwaukee has a challenge of having to go to Boston to regain home court advantage. TD Garden has been a, a very difficult place for teams to play these past two postseasons and i don't know if the bucks are going to be able to to get a win there and that's that's going to really determine their chance in the series because even if they are able to win game 2 and game 5 at home if if boston can win 3 3 games in the garden they're not going to have to go to milwaukee for a game 7
1: are the celtics still going cuz Cruz on their shirts <laughs>
0: <laughs> the the cs rise
1: well, yeah, but it's, it's definitely Cuz Cruz, because it has that big old C on the left. I agree, it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I wish
2: they'd come up with something else. Oh, sorry, Like, do cries, your job, yeah. like the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> something super simple like that.
0: Alright, I, I do think the Celtics will continue to rise. Um, if I had to throw a number on it, I will say Boston and six. Coming into this series, so, I, re-
2: I really thought that uh, the key to stopping the Bucks was to uh, try to stop everyone else and just let Giannis do whatever because he seems like someone that would be basically impossible to stop but after yesterday uh seeing I mean not it's like what you said Ben like Giannis is not gonna completely suck every game but uh limiting him to that uh to all the production that he had yesterday uh if they can uh keep up that same production on the defensive and on the floor I think the Celtics will advance if they continue that
0: Yep. Yeah, so we'll we'll see what happens with that. But for, for now, let's move on to the Western Conference. And before we get into the second round, uh, I do think we need to take some time to discuss the Oklahoma City Thunder, Ben's team, who for the third straight year was eliminated in the first round. So Ben, are you questioning this this core that they have together, or do you think that it's only a matter of time before they can actually break through?
1: Well. I think that Paul George's, like, all-star break injury was really poorly timed. This has been a di- – it was a different team after the all-star break. And without MVP-level Paul George, I don't I don't like this team as much. <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously, he still played well in the postseason, but he wasn't taking over games like we saw him do earlier in the season. Um, at the same time, I don't know if there's a coach out there that's willing to coach the Thunder who would be able to, like – real Russell Westbrook in because there are times it's the hashtag why not mentality that he has. Sometimes it works so well where he'll take so so many ill-advised shots that somehow go in and it ends up being the reason we win the game. But sometimes he'll charge into the paint when there's three giants in there and turn the ball over and they'll get an easy bucket on the turnover when we're up by 15 with seven minutes left. And next thing you know, Portland's taken a long three for the win on a game that we at one point had like a 99% chance of winning late in the fourth. So I think that it's a, I I don't want to say it's just a coaching problem. I think it's partially a Russell Westbrook problem because of how poor his shooting is. But at the same time, he's really good. So it's not going to, we're not going to get rid of him or find a way to change that. Um, Altogether, I just think if we can play a smarter game of basketball, we've got the talent that we need. I really like our centers. I I think that we have... I mean, if we had Alex Abrinas, that would have been nice because we were kind of lacking some shooting um, at times. But there are also times where we have the guys that we need. It's just we got to stop making silly choices, especially against Portland in this series. They just seemed like we were working so hard to turn the ball over and then giving Portland easy buckets. Um, so... Honestly, I don't know what to say. I'd love to just reload and try again because I like the guys that we have. But it is really disappointing that the two seasons that I've lived in OKC, that we've had pretty pathetic playoff runs, things that we can't really hang our hat on. It's been pretty bad, especially the way this series ended with that dagger from Dame. I mean, uh, that was it was it was it was tough to get get out of bed the next morning after that one, especially with the entire social media world loving it. I do agree with Ben that I do like the core of their team. And, if, and I
2: also agree that Paul George, in the first half of the season, outside of Giannis and Harden, probably the MVP of the league. And I do like Steven Adams a lot. Uh, and another thing is, I think they need an, an Andre Roberson type of player back. Yes. But they also need another elite offensive player. And that's not named Carmelo Anthony <laughs> or washed up Carmelo Anthony at the end of his career. Uh, if they can get another player. Uh, to help them on the offensive end of the floor, not named Paul George or Russell Westbrook, I think they can compete in the future in, in the West, especially if KD does leave next year.
0: Who who would they they bring in though? Because I don't know. Yeah, I'll
1: admit, I I, don't I, know, I honestly but. don't think that we're we're gonna make any big moves because we're paying Russell Westbrook and Paul George and steven adams so much money I, I mean that's why again i i do have a lot of faith in this in these guys and i and i would love to reload and try again but um it is a little bit daunting going into next season without really it's not really clear to me how we could make any major moves to improve
0: yeah it's not going to be a big superstar so is it going to be a bunch of role players four playoff wins in three years it's kind of tells you a little bit why Kevin Durant wanted to get out and didn't want to play with Russell Westbrook anymore, because it's starting to look like he's not going to be able to lead a team through the Western conference. And, you know, they have Westbrook and George locked up for a few more years. So it seems early to abandon ship, but I don't know. It's like, do you, do you see a scenario where this team can really just put it together outside of teams in the West imploding, I guess like,
1: not if we're losing to Portland. Not if we're losing to Damian Lillard. You know, it's... And especially... Well, I, I know what people are saying, like, put some respect on Damian Lillard's name. And I, I think he deserves that. I, I actually own his shoes, which I haven't been able to bring myself to put on since that game. But he's he's just one guy. And we're supposed to have... Like, if you look at the way we played them in the regular season, this, this was a gift that we were able to play them in this series. So, uh, I... I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. Again, I have faith in my guys.
0: Yeah, the Trailblazers are a really good team. You know, they, they were the three seed Oklahoma City. Because they're better six, than but
1: uh, people give them
2: credit for. It. Remember that they also lost uh, Yusuf Nurkic. That's
1: true. Uh, that, that oh, and, 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 really and having Cantor placed. Well, yeah, but having Cantor play so well in the series against us also sucked because he was yeah. a former Thunder player who got released from the Knicks for like just for no reason. You know, I mean, not no reason. They're obviously trying to get rid of some money, but like, it sucks that a guy who a team was willing to get rid of is in there balling in the paint against us, where we're supposed to be, and we're allegedly a playoff team.
2: Did you guys see that poster that someone made of the for for Cantor, where the only thing he terrorizes is the basketball rim. <laughs> no one saw that. None of you guys saw that. Oh my god, I thought that I was I saw hysterical. I saw
1: a photoshop. Um oh wait, no, sorry. Game of Thrones spoilers. I'll leave it. I'll leave it.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, well let's let's move on from the Thunder and talk about teams that are actually in the second round. Particularly Golden State Warriors. Now, both of you were real quick to say that the Warriors would sweep the Clippers in the first round, not worth talking about. It took them six games with two losses in Oakland. So are the Warriors really still the favorites to win the West? Or are we just saying that because there's no reason to say that they they aren't going to win until someone actually beats them?
1: Dude, come on. It's Kevin Durant dropping 50 burgers. They should still be the favorites,
2: but it it's not a guarantee, I guess, is what it is. Especially if uh, Steph and Clay are not as healthy as uh, people have reported. If they if Clay's injury is serious with the the sprained ankle and Steph, he's had ankles issues for his entire career. Uh, so lately, it's Boogie just been cousins KD, out for the whole K- postseason. Yeah, and
1: Cookie, and yeah, and, and Boogie Cousins is out for the season now again. Oh, what do you guys know about their depth at center? How do you guys feel about their replacement for Boogie?
0: Andrew Bogut? Uh,
2: Kevin Looney?
1: Yeah, because I, I, I haven't watched a whole lot. I did see Kevin Looney play. Uh, but how do you guys feel about those guys?
0: They're, I mean, I don't think it matters They're not cousins, much. but they were able to win with JaVale yeah. McGee. So it really, it comes down to, are the other four guys healthy? Are they playing well together? You can throw in anyone at center just to, to have a big guy on the floor. But...
2: I mean, they put Draymond at center and then put Iguodala or Sean Livingston in the mm. starting lineup at times as well.
0: Well, I mean,
1: yeah. I also, I feel like you can't doubt Kevin Durant either, because he's been lethal ever since he said, I'm Kevin Durant, you know who I am. Also, don't underestimate Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly is so good at throwing people off their game. And I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for what the Clippers did. Also, don't forget about Lou Williams. This He was, uh, he was playing pretty well. Too. So, I I don't want to disparage the Clippers too much by saying, like, oh, look, they lost to the Clippers. Uh, but, I mean, again, it's just so hard to change your mind the, about the, the Warriors. The Clippers are a it's pesky so team.
0: Good. Yeah, they're, they're a tough yeah. team. It's like everyone thought when at the trade deadline when they traded Tobias Harris that they were going to just try to tank the rest of the season. And they, they battled for a playoff spot. So, that being said, the Clippers... Their talent is only so high, and now the Warriors are playing a Houston Rockets team with James Harden, who might win NBA MVP, Chris Paul, who is a, a veteran point guard. He finally got over that, uh, that, the hump last year by making it to the conference finals, and this Rockets team, to me, has a, a really good shot at beating them, even though they might not be quite as good as the team last year that took them to seven games. Game one was a four point game and Houston maybe had a, a missed um, foul on a, a three by James Harden at the end that could have swung things. But I, I certainly don't think that we can just say the Warriors are going to to make a, a easy run to the NBA Finals from here.
1: Um, okay, I, I got to get you guys' opinion on this because you have more experience with like Fouls in basketball, but what do you guys think about like the kickout three, where you jump in midair, like when you take the shot, uh, you you like kick your feet forward into the defender to draw the foul. Like you guys remember that internet meme? It was called "Put 'em in a coffin," and it's where you like run and then you jump and go completely horizontal in midair and land on like a table or on somebody's windshield and crack it. Like that's what I feel like James Harden does when he takes those threes. He like goes up. Kicks and then tries to go completely horizontal in midair to like draw the foul, but I don't know if I that's against the rules or if that's just a smart play. Like, what what do you guys think?
2: I don't mind it when it happens once in a while, but when the the Rockets tried that at least a dozen times yes in that game uh, yesterday, and I I, I hated well, it. Well, I, I, their I,
1: coach said he was like they missed four calls on those threes. That's twelve shots that we should have gotten and we would have won.
0: The Rockets actually, like, they did an audit of Game Seven last year and said that there were eighty-one missed calls in that game. So Houston, they're a team that's... you
2: mean, you mean miss, you mean miss shots, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah.
0: Houston's a team like they're they're gonna try to do that. It's like
2: it's all it's all about Harden playing iso ball, mm-hmm. and they they don't really have a that much of a plan on offense besides just uh, leaning on James Harden to do everything and come up with yeah. miracle plays. That's, yeah, and sometimes, I sometimes.
0: Sometimes the refs. I hate will help the way they play out, our offense. But, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, and it's it's only so entertaining. I I do agree with that. Um,
2: I I do want to believe that Houston can win the series, especially if Golden State is not uh, not really that healthy coming into this series. But I just think it's the same thing with Houston, especially against Golden State, that you think that they're gonna uh, make a comeback and win a, and win the game and win the series, but it's just gonna be the same thing over again where. James Harden falls short and Golden State advances.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think Houston can make it a series. Uh, a lot of it's really going to come down to how Harden and Paul do in the playoffs because they, they've certainly earned a reputation of uh, not coming up big when it matters most, and you know falling down one to nothing. That's that's not a huge deal, but if they fall behind two nothing and then maybe lose a game in Houston, this this series could be over pretty quickly. So. Um, as for the other teams in the West, the the Portland Trailblazers, who we already talked about, the three seed going up against the two seed Denver Nuggets, who had a much harder time, the only team that needed seven games to win a series in the entire first round against a, a San Antonio Spurs team that, of course, has historically been a, a playoff threat. Uh, lots of experience with Coach Greg Popovich. But do you think that Portland's fairly easy series win over Oklahoma city makes them the clear favorite over Denver or does isn't the Nuggets having home court advantage being that, that number two seed in the West uh, still make them the favorites here.
1: I don't know. I think it depends on how Denver responds from, going to 7 games. What their level of confidence is going into the series because I'll tell you who's feeling real confident right now. That's Damian Lillard. This man was taking ridiculous shots. That deep 3 that with a game winner. What what's crazy about that shot is I know Paul George called it bad shot selection and what a sore loser thing to say. I'm sorry. I love Paul George. He's my favorite player on the Thunder. But I'm I'm I cringed when I saw that he said that because that shot was not a bad choice. Damian Lillard was hitting those in that game. That was like his fourth shot that game like from 30 and he was making them at a rate that is kind of ridiculous. And if he keeps playing like this, I think that he can decimate uh this Nuggets defense. So it just depends on how these how the Nuggets respond to having drawn out that first series because again People had, even though the Thunder were the lower seed, a lot of people favored the Thunder in that series against Portland. And Portland destroyed them. So these trailblazers, excuse the pun, but they're on fire. And I think the Nuggets need to find a way to, uh, you know, cool them off or they're going to be out too.
2: I think the Nuggets need a little bit more secondary scoring outside of Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic in game six and seven was carrying that team. He had, in game six, he had four. 43 points 12 rebounds 9 assists near triple double and then game seven he does almost just as good as he did in game six and they need a little bit more help from guys like Jamal Murray Will Barton and Gary Harris Uh, and if they can get help from those guys a little bit more uh, I can see them pulling off the win but like you said Ben the the trailblazers they're coming in hot and they're coming in fresh after being the thunder in five and i also agree with the the paul george thing i or that it was a stupid comment and i love what draymond green said that who cares who cares what kind of shot it is if you're if you're scoring
1: 50 in a game any shot's fine doesn't matter yep unfortunately i have to agree with draymond something i don't <laughs> <laughs> like doing but he's right it's i think it was a great shot i knew it was going in as soon as he took it too i watched that game i thought we had the win and then i watched just blow our lead at the end and then when he pulled up i was like oh it's over and then it whoosh, went through and i st- not not <sighs>
2: not the first time he's made a series clinching shot like that he did that verse he did that first houston several years ago when during the dwight howard years of the rockets uh, and and beat them in the first round as well.
1: Yeah, I I, I hate it because it happened to the Thunder, but from a neutral perspective, you have to love what the Trailblazers did in round one. So, they're uh, I I like them in round two.
0: Yeah, recently bias so, uh, certainly favors. No. Uh, recently biased it, it favors Portland. Um, you know, just just given how well they played against Oklahoma City versus Denver, kind of uh, slugging it out with San Antonio. But I, I do think it's going to be a very entertaining series uh, between these two teams. We'll see what Ennis Cantor can do against Nikola Jokic, who is arguably the best center in the NBA, and if Damian Lillard can can continue his his playoff heroics.
2: Uh, I like the Nuggets in this series, but I do think this will be the most competitive series. I think I think the Nuggets will get a little bit more scoring outside of Jokic and I don't know what the situation is with Cancer. I mean, he was awesome in game 1 versus Oklahoma City, but I don't know what what is what exactly is his health right now or standpoint right now in terms of being uh in terms of playing in this series. Is he all set or is he good to go or do you think that um he's going to be affected?
0: As far as I know, he's still going to be playing. I I don't know to what extent, but you know, there's something to, to I, keep an I, I eye think,
2: on. I think the combination of not being hundred percent and facing Nikola Jokic defense, uh, is really going to hurt the Blazers. Uh, cause they, cause they don't have, not only will they have a banged up cancer, but like I said earlier, they don't have Nurkic now. And, uh, I don't know if D- Damon Lillard could be hot for every single game. And they, they have gotten some production out of Aminu and Harkless as well, but, uh, I think Nuggets having the home court advantage and beating a, a an underrated San Antonio team, I, I I like them to squeak out the uh, series win.
0: All right, so uh, let's let's move on now, uh, and we'll do our quick hitter segment where we will talk about the NFL draft. So this past weekend in Nashville. We had all 32 teams get together, seven rounds of selections, and the first overall pick, former top 10 MLB selection and Heisman Trophy winner, quarterback Kyler Murray from Oklahoma, going to the Arizona Cardinals. Their head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, said back in October he would take him with the number one overall pick if he had the chance, and six months later, he stayed true to his word. What are your thoughts on Arizona taking the quarterback number 1 just one year after taking a quarterback in the first round last year?
1: I called it. I knew it. I knew they'd take him and I knew that that there would be repercussions for that later in the draft, but I um as a, you know, as a Niners fan, I'm scared, dude. Kylie Murray's good at football and uh my only solace is that they didn't do a whole lot to Open up his offensive line, so I think it's going to be a while before Kyler Murray. I could definitely see Kyler Murray not having instant success, uh, but as like as far as a from the Cardinals front office perspective, it's a good move. This guy's a generational player and um, definitely a step up from their previous number one guy. I'll add
2: more on to what I think about uh, Josh Rosen. Actually, I think I think moving on from him uh, for the or having the Dolphins taking him. Uh, by dra- trading the second-round pick, I think that's an awesome move for them as well. Uh, drafting, t- if you, if, if, huh, sorry. If Rosen ends up being good, they got their franchise quarterback for the next 10 years, but if he ends up sucking, uh, they can just take another quarterback in the top 10 next year and then move on from Rosen as well. Uh, but what, what if you think of Rosen as a quarterback? What if you think he's good or not? I feel bad for him because he's not surrounded by any good players at all. He was not surrounded by anyone this past season. He had a okay David Johnson and an old Larry Fitzgerald. Now this year, who does he have on the roster this year in Miami? He's he has no one.
1: Yeah, they lost their best running back Frank Gore to the Bills.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, he he was in a tough situation in Arizona last year and I don't know if they're necessarily putting Kyler Murray in that much better of a situation. In the draft, they did a, did take a couple big receivers uh, by going out and getting um, the it was the the UMass wide receiver. Um, and then they also got Hakeem Butler in the, the fourth round. Uh, but their offensive line is still, still a question mark. So the idea is that Kyler Murray is going to be able to – to do more, move outside the pocket, make some splashy plays that Rosen wasn't able to last year. But I don't, I agree with Ben. I don't know if we're going to see him take over right away in year one and be like, you know, Baker Mayfield last year, put himself in the rookie of the year conversation. And from there, it'll just be a matter of, you know, how soon before he takes over. And as Brian said, what's, what's Josh Rosen going to look like in Miami? Because they might've given up a guy who, who many believe, Despite being the fourth overall pick or fourth quarterback selected last year, uh, was better than any of the quarterbacks in this year's class.
1: Yeah, but I mean, overall, I think this is a smart choice by the Cardinals. They're not a good football team right now, and getting a generational player like Kyler Murray that's the that's the type of move you have to make when you've got the number one pick. Um, Also, this legitimizes my policy on 49ers victories. Even when we suck and we get like one or two wins. That's a good thing. Every win is a good win, even if it pushes us back in the draft. I remember celebrating our wins last season, and people were like, that's so stupid. The Niners need to be tanking right now. No, we need to win as much as possible every year, and good things will still happen. We definitely wouldn't have taken Kyler Murray with the number one pick. I mean, maybe we could have finessed somebody and gotten some picks to trade back, but there's no reason for uh, the Niners to covet the number one pick in this draft, uh, and I think that worked out well for us.
2: I'll admit I'd be against Ben in that uh, debate. Where I would, I would, I would root for the tanking. If I'm the Colts, where uh, RG three and Andrew Luck are in the draft, I want them to tank as much as possible to get Andrew Luck. Because if they end up with RG three, they lose a quarterback after two or three seasons, and then they have to find their another franchise quarterback. So well, I, I, I would root for the. One, I would root for the tanking if I was rooting for a bad team.
1: One caveat to that. Unless we have, like, if we didn't have Jimmy, then I guess maybe I would be more towards tanking, especially with a guy like Kyler Murray on the come up. But because we have Jimmy, I was, uh, I, I think that if he's healthy, we're a better team than people know. And uh, I, I want us to win as much as possible. But enough about the Niners.
0: Taking in itself in the NFL is an interesting concept because it's it's not as easy to do in the NBA just because there's, there's so much more to lose. Whether you're a coach or you're a player, uh, you don't get too many chances in the nfl it's it's easy to replace guys and with with the uh injury risk it's it's certainly difficult to have a long career so for me my initial thought with the dolphins heading into the offseason was that they should should attempt to tank they shouldn't take one of these quarterbacks and that they should try to get you know as as high of a pick as possible next year to get to a tag or jake Fromm or justin herbert but then I thought more about it, especially when they added Ryan Fitzpatrick in the offseason. It's going to be difficult for the Dolphins to just necessarily not try and finish 2-14. and 14. So adding Josh Rosen, you get a quarterback who, in theory, he's going to be your franchise guy. And if he's bad enough like last year that you end up with a top-five pick anyway, then you're in good shape to still get that quarterback next year. So I do really think this is a great move for the Dolphins, and I'm curious to see how it works out for them. But let's talk about a another team that selected a quarterback in the top 10, and that is the New York Giants taking Duke quarterback Daniel Jones with the sixth overall pick. And I think it's fair to say that this was the most questionable pick of the entire NFL draft this year.
2: I'm not gonna to pretend to know how good Daniel Jones is or Dwayne Haskins, but taking Daniel Jones sixth overall when you could have easily traded out of that pick, whether if it's to the Redskins or to another team that wanted the sixth overall pick to get someone to get someone else, you could have easily have done that and then taken Daniel Jones in the middle of the first round or the later in the first round, and, and even if you missed out on him, I mean, how good is this quarterback class? after Kyler Murray I don't think it's very good I mean the the Giants are desperate for a quarterback because I'm pretty sure Eli Eli Manning he's he's pretty much done at this point in his career but is Daniel Jones really the answer I I, I'm I'm questioning it as well like everyone else
1: yeah I don't know I I've watched a couple of like scouting breakdowns on Daniel Jones and it seems like he's a guy who has a lot of potential. His problem at Duke was that his teammates all sucked and he had like he led the nation in like dropped passes or something like that. So I mean in my opinion the guy has potential and I think he could be one of these red shirt quarterback guys because yeah I also think that Eli Manning's best football is in his is in the past but the Giants got considerably worse this se- this offseason so maybe a, a red shirt you know final season for Eli Manning maybe bring in uh, Danny Boy in a meaningless week 17 game a la Patrick Mahomes and you might just see a uh, a quality starter take the field for the Giants next season and I agree Number six is too high for this pick, especially when there were other quarterback needy teams that definitely, in my opinion, probably had Dwayne Haskins higher on their big board than uh, Daniel Jones. But still, if the Giants want to be good in the future, they have to have a quarterback. And if they believe this is their guy, maybe this is their guy. I don't think he's going to be taking Eli Manning out of the starting position this season, but who knows what the future holds for him. I was down on Mahomes. Uh, but the, the uh, measurables were there. Daniel Jones is another one of these guys that maybe the right quarterback coach can get the best out of him.
0: I think uh, a lot of people knew going into the draft that the Giants are pretty big on Daniel Jones and that this was a possibility. But it's just the real big question is, doesn't it seem likely they could have gone him at 17? At number six, you have Josh Allen, who is a lot of people were thinking he could have been as high as a number two overall pick in the draft. Uh, even the number one at one point, and the Giants passed on him for this guy. And Dave Gettleman can say all he wants about how, oh, he definitely would have been gone by seventeen. But all the in- the reports and indications are coming out that that's not the case. So, yeah, they, you get a, a guy coached by David Cutcliffe has that that connection to the Manning family. It makes sense here that that he would end up going, but it it's. I think it's totally reasonable to question New York's decision to take him here, regardless of necessarily how how good he ends up being year one, year two. It's just the fact that it it was a reach.
2: Agreed.
1: Who even knows what the Giants are doing right now? Anyways, is <laughs> oh,
2: an organization
0: I, I do not understand. Uh, no, no, they've made. Can only
2: imagine what Saquon Barkley is thinking right now.
0: It's it's crazy how many questionable moves they've made in the last like year plus now. Uh, but let's move on to some other other noteworthy picks to talk about in the first round. Let's start with the Oakland Raiders. Three first round picks. Cleveland Farrell, defensive end from Clemson, number four. They said they were going to surprise us. That was certainly a surprise. But then later they used their, their 24th and 27th selection to take Josh Jacobs, who's probably in their starting running back this season with Marshawn Lynch announcing his retirement. They also upgraded uh, their, their defensive backfield as well. And seemed like a pretty pretty solid first draft for for Mike Mayock as general manager of the Raiders.
1: Well, okay, now is the time to make these picks pay off, because or rather these trades pay off. I obviously the Raiders have been the subject of much ridicule as a result of shipping off some amazing talent that immediately produced in an unbelievable way for their teams. I'm talking about Amari Cooper and Khalil Mack, but they have young players that are cheap and have a lot of potential Uh, i mean they must really love cleland pharrell i i he's he's one that it could be a reach but at the same time like they seem pretty confident in this pick obviously clemson had a really really good d line last season uh, so i don't think it's a bad pick necessarily uh but they got him they i hope they know what they're doing with the guys that they got um on paper they look like decent picks but I think they need to be more than just decent picks to make what they traded away worth it.
2: When they gave away Khalil Mack and then Amari Cooper last season, I was just completely trashing uh, Gruden for everything. And But I I did say that if he ends up using these picks uh, smartly and uh, they turn out to be good players, then, then fine. But Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper are two of the most elite players at their positions mostly Clue mac of course he's him or aaron donald are um neck and neck for best defensive player in the in the league but Mari cooper he's on the rise entering his prime and um uh, about to become one of the top receivers in the league as well so yeah it's like what you said ben these players probably can't just just be good they need to be elite for those traits to pay
0: off the Raiders certainly need to to hope that they nailed on those picks to justify trading some of those guys away but they are in a position where they they don't necessarily need to hit on them immediately Uh, but it would be helpful for them when they get to Vegas next year to have uh, a lot of good second year players so another team Washington Redskins we were talking about Dwayne Haskins he didn't go number six of the Giants and he fell all the way to 15 to the Redskins they also traded up to the 26th pick to get Montez Sweat, who is one of the best prospects in this draft class, who potentially had a misdiagnosed heart condition. That was the reason why he fell. A lot of people are thinking the Redskins had the best first round in the entire league, which is kind of a shock for this organization.
1: Yeah, a lot of upside. Definitely a lot of upside. Um, and we'll just have to see what they can do with it. Uh, obviously, the Redskins are quarterback needy, one of the most quarterback needy teams in the the whole league and sweat yeah i couldn't like can you uh talk about that a little bit more is it that they diagnosed him with a heart condition and then it turned out that he didn't have one or is it that yeah they don't know yeah
0: it's no it's i think it's more it it dropped him but then it it turned out that oh maybe it's not as bad as they thought but at that point he was already falling down draft boards because that was news that came out kind of late in the process
1: as i remember a lot of 49ers like forums were saying trade the number two pick away to a quarterback needy team and get sweat later in the round and uh i mean a lot of people obviously i wasn't on board with that i wanted bosa but it sounded like sweat could have been uh you know to fill he could fill that need as that edge rusher
0: there were a lot of people who thought he would be a top 10 pick so and the fact that the red soon got him at 26 in theory that's a lot of value uh, a lot of upside yep my question
2: is, like: is Dwayne Haskins going to be the guy week one? Who do they have after him since Alex Smith is a Case goner? Keenum. Uh, he, Ke- oh, okay. Case Keenum. Case
0: Keenum will probably be their starting quarterback. I don't think the expectation is that Haskins is going to come in right away. but
2: You can totally see by week four, yes. Case Keenum will have... a. Two or three uh-huh. interception game, and then all of a sudden the fans are chanting for Haskins it, to go in there. Yeah, he's
1: going to be chase Keenum because he's going to be chasing DBs down after they pick him off, and then they'll have to put Haskins in.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I do think that he'll he'll be on a very short lease, uh, especially with with Dan Snyder. You got you got to think that he he had some influence in taking Haskins here, so. Are there any other teams that you want to talk about or we no,
1: well, we already like mentioned his name, but Josh Allen at 7 to Saxonville, what a steal. They I mean that defense is already good and this guy's going to fit right in with those monsters. Uh, I I love this pick for them. I uh, Josh Allen, I was uh, there was a point in time where Nick Bosa was kind of a done deal, already going to be like they were already fitting him for his Arizona Cardinals jersey, but I was happy to settle for Josh Allen. Uh, he he looks really good, and even in his bowl game, which is the only game I watched of his live, he was decimating those that O line on the edge. So uh, I think they got a real a real uh, value pick there at seven. Also Garrett Bradbury, the center that Minnesota drafted. Um, I mean I'm not super good at evaluating O line talent, but I feel like they got a really big need filled uh kind of this reminds me of when the cowboys drafted uh travis frederick with a similar pick in the first round where you just check that box all right don't have to worry about center for years to come and uh, hopefully that's what Minnesota gets here. That's what I expect. Them
0: yeah, to I've, I've heard he's like one of the best center draft prospects in a long time. Uh, but going back to your comment on Jacksonville, I don't think there was a single mock draft that had Josh Allen to the Jaguars because there weren't any that had him falling outside of the top six. So I'm sure they were more than happy to take him at number seven. And a lot of people were thinking they would go offensive line, but they wound up getting Juwan Taylor in the second round with the 35th pick after he fell surprisingly in the first. So, uh, really solid start of the draft for Jacksonville. All right, Ben, you want to you wanna talk about your 49ers?
1: Obviously, like our listeners know, I called this a long time ago. I knew Nick Bosa was going to be a 49er. He even sat out their bowl game because he said, I got to do right by my Niners, make sure that I'm healthy. And um, he's a g- great player and a huge need for this team. Uh, the 49ers are now going to have Pro Bowl DeForest Buckner, who led the team in sacks from the... T- the defensive tackle position D Ford, a huge signing in the offseason at pass at edge rusher on one side. And now Nick Bosa, the number two overall pick, uh, pass rushing on the other side. So this defensive line just got a lot better. And, um, I'm really excited about that. At the same time, the Niners went, Debo Samuel in the second round, and this is just a dream come true. I feel like I've gotten really fortunate with some of the drafts because the Niners like to pick Gamecocks a lot of the time. I mean, Bruce Ellington a few years back got drafted by the 49ers. Unfortunately, he didn't have a really great career, but... He came in at a time where the 49ers actually had some decent wide receivers. Right now, the 49ers are pretty desperate for wide receivers. And the fact that they went two wide receivers in a row definitely is a, uh, it tells you a lot about what we've got at wide receiver currently. Uh, Debo Samuel, I think, is one of the best, most complete wide receivers that was in this draft class. I know I'm a homer because I'm a Gamecock fan, but I think he's amazing and he's going to be a really reliable uh, possession receiver for Jimmy. But we only picked up one DB. The 49ers had three interceptions all of last season. Three. There are other teams that got had multiple games where they got our entire season total of interceptions. Okay? In one game. So, it's pretty pathetic. We desperately need to improve this secondary. I know we have Richard Sherman and uh, we did sign Jason Ferrett, But there's no guarantee that he's even going to play. So, it is worrying to see the Niners neglect such a ginormous position of need. But the only caveat I can have to that is our D line is much improved and the quarterback can't tear our secondary apart if he doesn't have time to throw it. So maybe that'll work. We'll see. But I love the first half of the draft. Really wish we had uh, addressed our secondary situation.
2: All right. So for the Patriots, at the top of the draft, I was a fan of the uh, Chase Winovich and uh, Jawan Williams picks. Uh, You can never have enough uh, good corners and good edge rushers and Juwan Williams, the Patriots were thinking about taking him at 32, and the fact that they got him at 45, uh, I think that's a win for them. And at number 32, they went with Nikhil Harry, and I was definitely a fan of that pick. Uh, the Patriots are desperate for more weapons outside of Edelman. Now that they don't really have, they don't have Chris Hogan anymore. They don't have Gronk anymore. Their next best receiver on the roster might be Philip Dorsett, which, it, well, now it's Nikhil Harry, I think and the only thing I would say about the Nikhil Harry pick is Belichick as amazing as he is as a coach he does he's not very good at identifying receivers the only good receivers he's taking he's taken ever since he's been the GM slash coach of the Patriots for the past 20 years is Dion Branch I think at the top of the draft so in 0-2 he drafted Dion Branch in the second round that was a win but after that in 03, in the second round, he took Bethel Johnson. He ended up being basically a bust. In 06, they took Chad Jackson in the second round. He was probably the worst of all the receivers that Belichick took. In 2009, he drafted Brandon Tate, who was basically a kick returner who did nothing in the third round in 2009. 2010, he took Taylor Price, did nothing. Aaron Dobson, the second round, 13, did nothing. So at the top of the draft, this is the first time Nikhil, uh Bill Belichick has taken a receiver in the first round. So, but outside of that, in the second and third rounds, Belichick has not done a good job ad- identifying good receivers. So that, that's my one critique for Nikhil Harry. But outside of that, I'm a
1: fan of that pick. And were you going to say something, Ben? Demarius Thomas. You guys have a uh, big talent. On this oh, side. yeah,
2: great. A guy who's <laughs> about to end his career on one leg. And and, and even when he's healthy, he's he's dropping everything. So yeah, that that'll definitely help. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so at the bottom of the draft, the Padres traded two picks to trade up for a punter. They already have a punter. They have a, arguably a Super Bowl MVP candidate in a punter and Ryan <laughs> Allen, but they decided to trade up for. I know what you guys are thinking. Talk, complain about punters on your own time, but I think it's such it's so stupid. They traded up for a punter.
0: <laughs> there a right footed uh, punter too. Not I, even a I don't, lefty.
2: I don't. know. Yeah, and it wasn't even a lefty punter, which they've uh, they've had for their entire ten uh, tenure as in the Bill Belichick era. Have, they've had lefty punters, but they got they uh, traded up for a right <laughs> a right punter. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> that that I thought was stupid. And also, Damien Harris, uh, drafting him in the third round. I mean, they already. It's not the the fact that they drafted a running back in the third round. It's the fact that they have Sony Michelle, Rex Burkhead, and James White on the roster already. I don't know why they need another running back i don't know why they can't address other positions like maybe trying to find another tight end instead of having uh safarian jenkins and uh, matt lacoste as their starting tight ends who have not played a single down for the patriots at all drafting a third, a running another running back i'm i wasn't a fan of either
0: yeah so to so wrap things up with the steelers After the disappointing end to last season and the the tumultuous starts of the offseason, losing Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, uh, a lot of of question marks coming into this 2019 season. Everyone wanted the Steelers, like every Steelers fan wanted them to find a way to draft one of the Devin linebackers, whether it's Devin White or Devin Bush. There was no way they were going to fall to them at number 20. So I was under the impression they were going to end up taking a cornerback with that 20th overall pick. And what did they do? They traded into the top 10. They got Devin Bush. He is the guy that they've been longing for ever since the unfortunate injury to Ryan Shazier. I know a lot of people that the, the general consensus is that middle linebackers don't have that much value, but Ryan Shazier, losing him cost the Steelers arguably cost them a Super Bowl last year, or at least their appearance in it. Certainly a playoff spot last year. The the team just kind of fell apart. The defense needs a guy like that in the middle, and if Devin Bush is as, as great as everyone says, then you you can uh, forget about that being an issue for a long time. After that, they you know they gave up a second round pick. So from there, the next pick in the third, DeAndre Johnson, a wide receiver from Toledo. Never heard of him. I was surprised they took him. But the Steelers had a first-round grade on him, and they got him in the third. Apparently, he scored 80 touchdowns at Toledo, and there's a, already comparisons to Antonio Brown being that max superstar who can who can catch touchdowns as well as return kicks and punts for, to the house. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to see how he turns out. From there, cornerback Justin Lane and running back Benny Snell, those are two guys who I don't know if they're going to compete uh, or really make a difference right away in year one, but they give hopefully the Steelers finally nail a a cornerback which they've had no success with. It's pretty pathetic how how bad they've been when it comes to drafting corners under Mike Tomlin, so we'll see what Justin Lane can do. Benny Snell just seems like you're your typical Steelers running back. I saw him run all over the Game Cox for four years. So I'm hoping that he he does the, the same thing to other teams while I'm actually rooting for him. And then the last one I want to talk about, Isaiah Bugs, defensive tackle from Alabama. just a, an awesome name. Uh, Six round pick. I don't know what he's gonna do, but they got a big, big, big boy from Alabama. So uh, definitely excited about that one. They don't they don't usually get Crimson Tine players, so we'll we'll see. Uh, how he can do going from uh, playing under Nick Saban and his tutelage to uh, being a Pittsburgh Steeler. So, all right, with that, let's move on to our next segment, and that is Embrace Debate. The first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs featured no shortage of upsets as all four division winners suffered unceremonious exits in their opening series. But with the defending champion Washington Capitals and the 62-win Tampa Bay Lightning now eliminated, along with the recent back-to-back Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins and last year's darling expansion Vegas Golden Knights did the NHL gain or lose appeal with casual hockey fans for the final 3 rounds
2: so i think for for the nhl i, I love the the nhl product in the playoffs so much more than the nba uh, in every round every every shift every game every round the players fight to the death for for every For every second and in the NBA the it's just it there's no boxing out there's so much iso ball it's not a great product and sometimes it's too predictable at times you have the Warriors constantly winning these past few years and uh, even outside of that there have been times where the Cavs uh, in their East Finals matchups they would just destroy the Celtics they'd be up there'd be times where there was one game where they're up by 40 at the half and Charles Barkley in the TNT crew playing go fish because of how, how bad the game is. And, uh, and that's just that's saying something about the NBA where in the NHL, it's so unpredictable. It doesn't matter who, who like, who are the teams that are playing the Tampa Bay lightning, who I thought were going to uh, roll over everyone and win the cup this year. They were my pick in the beginning of the year. They win the president's trophy. And then all of a sudden they don't even win a single game. How and, and yeah, like Columbus, they're an, uh, they're a great team, but did did anyone expect them to sweep the Lightning? No, absolutely not. Um, now, now that being said, even though the NHL they have all these crazy uh, games and un- it's very unpredictable. By the next round and and so on, you get these really bad matchups where the Hurricanes beat the Capitals and the Islanders beat the Penguins, but. The Hurricanes and Islanders throughout the first two games that combined for four goals, no one wants to see that. And you look at these NBA matchups right now, there are stars on every single team. We can identify uh, every, a lot of players on each team, but in the NHL, it's really hard to get the casual fan to be drawn into to teams that aren't really that great. Uh, and outside of, the, outside of the Bruins, there really aren't any notable teams left.
0: Yeah, I... I've always thought that the Stanley Cup playoffs are more entertaining than the NBA playoffs. Just like you said, there's a lot more unpredictability. Just teams going hard every single night. There's constantly games going to overtime. Series it just that teams are just fighting it out and you don't necessarily see that as much in the NBA. And with the first round, it was it's great having all this parity. It just kind of shows that it's it's unpredictable. Yep. But I don't know if that's going to continue to to draw me in.
2: Yeah, the first round in the NHL is so much better than the NBA, but by the end of it, the NBA, they get this classic finals matchup. Even though the past year or two it's been it's been Warriors all day, but you get to have a classic finals matchup of uh, the two best going at it, while in the NHL it's a couple random teams that you don't really know much about unless if you're a fan of them. It's a it's by the end of it, the NBA gets the better of it because of you just want to see the best teams at the end of the day.
1: I think when it comes to being a casual sports fan, one of the best things you can have is parody, parody, parody. The, from, I mean, the fact that you guys have brought this up, I think it indicates that in the NHL, even if you're not the clear best team, you still have a chance to win something. And that's exciting. Especially if by casual fan, you mean someone who lives in an NHL city and they just don't really pay attention all that much. All it takes is one deep playoff run to potentially like give birth to some lifelong fans. It's so one of the things that I love about the NFL, and I know you can say, oh, the NFL has no parity. It's literally just Tom Brady winning every time. And like, yeah, Tom Brady has definitely been very dominant, and, and the Patriots have won a lot of championships, but at the same time, just looking at the NFC, there's, you know, it, you never know who's going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, uh, because there's so much parity. You can go from worst to first in the NFL, um, and, and because there's so much parity, so I think that is something that the NHL has that, like you guys said, the NBA doesn't have, and even if you're a fan of some nobody team, there's that chance that your team could have a deep playoff run. And I think that's enough to get to turn some casual fans into lifelong NHL fans.
0: Yeah. So I think that's something that I can certainly relate to just from your experience, Uh, living in an NHL city, the Carolina hurricanes hadn't made the playoffs in 10 years. No one had really cared much about them recently, but Living in Raleigh, especially living across from PNC Arena, this year I've seen that excitement with the team kind of going from – on the cusp of being a playoff team to this year there are a lot of a lot of hopeful fans and they finally got through in the playoffs and they defeated the defending champions in the first round i actually got to go to game four and uh, see see hurricanes tie that series of washington two to two went out one and entertaining game seven now they're up two all on the islanders heading back to carolina for games three and four with a shot to to close out the series so I, I do agree with that. I think there's a lot of people who are going to become huge Hurricanes fans because of their their run right now, and that's, that's not something that you'd been used to seeing. But when you're talking about people just from all over the country, when you look at that Western Conference with the San Jose Sharks versus the Colorado Avalanche and the St. Louis Blues versus the Dallas Stars, that's not anything that really jumps out like, oh, I need to watch these games. I think the Sharks are the, the best team that's left. They have a lot of talented players, but you know i'm i'm not necessarily going to stay up until 10:30 on a Tuesday night to watch them play
2: if you're a hardcore nhl fan i mean you'll love the matchup cuz cuz you'll see the roster and think how loaded it is but if you're just a casual fan how is like, there's really nothing that draws draws you into watching watching that at midnight unless if it's game 7 and it's an overtime but there's really nothing about Those teams in the West or even in the East, outside of Boston, that can really draw your attention. That's yeah. I mean, Columbus. I I think it's good to have parity, but at the same time, I wish there was a combination. Right in this year's playoffs, I wish there was a combination of the parity, but also some of the best teams still playing.
0: Columbus is a really good, uh, you know, metaphorical eight seed, second wild card. The Mm -hmm. sweeping Tampa was pretty. Pretty astounding, uh, but I'm sure that there, there's not many people outside of New England that would would rather see them playing the Bruins and the the Tampa Bay Lightning. Just knowing how dominant they've been all season, and just to see if they could really continue that Stanley Cup run. And it's pretty pretty disappointing that that team wasn't even able to get one win over Columbus. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think that's that's a really really big thing. Is you just don't have teams that are necessarily going to just draw anyone and with with the NBA playoffs presumably going to be much better in the second round with these four teams in the east and then Golden State maybe facing some tough competition in Houston it's going to be difficult for the NHL to to pull in ratings that come close to competing with the NBA
1: well I think the NHL is up against it to begin with I think instead of trying to you know uh, appeal to the average sports fan who's probably watching NBA right now and maybe doesn't even know that the NHL playoffs are going on and instead try to win these fans who already live in these sports cities and to do that I think having different teams go deep into the playoffs year to year is a good thing even if your team that went deep this year doesn't go again next season at least you know what it feels like and you feel like hey we just just need to get lucky we just need to have that year and we can be there again and i and i think that's honestly how i feel about the nfl now that i know more about the nfl i still feel like there's like certain like there are definitely rebuilds and like it it's surprising when a team goes from being really terrible to really good but it still happens like every year so it might not be your team but seeing even another team do it gives a fan faith and another reason to sit down and watch in the postseason
0: so it, it sounds like Ben really, really thinks these playoffs are great for Dallas Stars fans, and does not care about how Penguins fans like me feel trying to to get into the rest of this postseason. So <laughs> yeah, the Pe-
1: Penguins <laughs> fans have had their time with their back-to-back Stanley Cup championships. Okay, let's uh, let's t- let's see someone else become the the big champions.
0: Yep, and uh, you know that's that's gonna happen. It's not gonna be the Capitals again, and I'm I'm very much happy about that. So. I guess I can't complain too much.
1: Yeah, isn't this officially an anti-Caps podcast?
0: Yes. Isn't, isn't that it very our much, official stance? Yes, we are an anti-Capitals podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: don't I don't mind the Capitals, but I'm
2: glad they're gone because if it was Capitals-Bruins, I don't know if the Bruins would have a shot because the Capitals own the Bruins. So I, I'm glad that they're gone as well.
0: So, we'll we'll see what happens from here. Uh, hopefully, the, the Stanley Cup playoffs continue to have some, some kind of entertainment, even if the teams remaining aren't necessarily going to draw the biggest ratings. But with that, let's move on to our next segment. All right, looks like we have some breaking news coming in. So... Professional sports better James Holzhauer is making the game show Jeopardy a must-see nightly viewing event and attracting unprecedented media attention thanks to an historic run that has seen him smash single game prize records and break $1 million in winnings in just 15 episodes. Now before we talk too much into this, I know the segment is called Athletes in the News. He's not technically an athlete, but he is a sports figure. And I feel like Athletes in the News is a little catchier than sportspersons in the news. So we're going to continue to call that this segment Athletes in the News, regardless of whether or not it's an actual athlete. So James Holzauer uh he, it took him 15 episodes to get 1 million dollars tonight he got his 18th consecutive win up to 1.3 million dollars in winnings and it has been an unbelievable run and it's it's getting everyone interested in a, a classic american game show that isn't necessarily considered nightly viewing by most of the population
1: but it is the best game show in my opinion. Uh, Jeopardy has such a great format. It's very easy to watch and like participate at home. Uh, even if you don't really know the answers it's still it can be educational for the answers that you don't know. And when you do know it, it's really satisfying. you're like I knew that. <laughs> um, also, I obviously can't overlook the amazing host of Jeopardy Alex Trebek. He is the best. And um, I know he's dealing with some health problems right now, but he's even dealing with that like a champion. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely love Jeopardy. And I love how, like, I, I remember the days of Ken Jennings. Last time I felt this way about a Jeopardy contestant. It gets really exciting to see somebody who can go night after night and, and retain their title uh, in a game that really true, it, it truly does feel like a game of skill uh, and, like, knowledge as opposed to, you know, he spun the wheel of fortune the best.
0: <laughs> yeah, so Ken Jennings, 74 straight wins back in 2004. Did he got he won a total of two and a half million dollars. Holzhauer is already more than half that, and in, he's done it in a quarter of the time. So it, it's an unreal run this guy is on. So just a little background, he's 34 years old. Originally from Naperville, Illinois, graduated from the University of Illinois, became a professional sports bettor shortly after in 2006, and has been living in Las Vegas, a pretty appropriate place for someone of his profession uh, for the majority of his time since then. And it's unreal what this guy has been able to do. He's averaging $73,000 in winnings per episode. He's won more than $100,000 five times. It's it's just a nightly thing that you just know he's gonna dominate. It,
2: it's not just the fact that he's winning each each episode. It's the fact that he's killing his opponents. You he said he's averaging what seventy thousand per round. Where if, if take him out, the average person who wins probably gets I don't know twenty grand or thirty grand. Maybe, probably yeah, 20, it's
0: think like nineteen nineteen thousand was the average before he started coming in and and winning.
2: Yeah, it, that's that's that is so absurd, and to win to have it to five times to be over hundred thousand is. Like why even show up if you're the other opponent? <laughs> well
1: well, is it because he's answering all the questions or is he going all like mu- all his money and every double jeopardy and then all his money in final jeopardy or Yeah, is-
0: I mean the daily doubles are a big thing is just how much he's been willing to risk. Basically the strategy is he tries to rack up as much money as possible early on. His buzzing is so quick. He's it and that's that's really what helps him just skyrocket up the board and then by the time the final jeopardy comes around only twice in 18 episodes has it not just been a lock that he can wager whatever he wants and still end up winning and the, the the crazy thing is he's not only doing that and like getting it right but he's always coming up with some kind of like sentimental uh dollar amount whether it just to like represent like a, a date or a family member or just something and he's he's getting it right and, and it's just adding like another twist and like more fun to to his dominance
2: did you say he has buzzing skills where he actually hits the
1: buzzer quicker than the, yeah well opponents? that's the
0: biggest thing is like other people aren't even given a shot to answer because he's just buzzing in so much faster than them
1: i would love to see like a, a training montage for this guy where he's like practicing buzzing yeah,
0: buzzing
2: he's 101 like,
1: you gotta He's in the gym like wearing a sweatband and like buzzing. <laughs> oh, I could totally see that. Too. With this yeah. coach yelling, Come on, you gotta you gotta really push. Push that button. Like JK Buzz seven
2: like JK Simmons and Web Flash, Faster, faster.
1: Yeah. Not my tempo.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so tonight was actually his closest call yet. Uh, another sports guy, a, a sports information director named Adam Levin from Ashland, Mass, and uh, Levin gave him a run for his money. It came down to final Jeopardy. They both got it right, and Holzhauer only wound up winning by eighteen dollars. Levin finished with fifty three thousand nine hundred ninety nine, which is the most ever for a second place finisher. So he's literally going up like tonight. The the best competition he's faced, one of the most successful single game performances ever. And that's still not good enough to beat this guy.
2: And give, given his profession as a sports gambler, like what if he was on Sports Jeopardy with Dan Patrick instead of the regular Jeopardy with Alex Trebek? Like how how much would he be winning on that show? If I don't know both if he both has of a sports
0: trivia knowledge or he just knows how to bet on games and uh, different matchups. I actually heard uh, one way that really like got him early on was betting on the World Baseball Classic. Uh, in 2006, he was down on the US and the Dominican Republic, who were the, considered the top two favorites, and really big on Japan and Cuba, who wound up playing in the, uh, the final. So that was like really what got him started, and he, he wound up winning a lot of early money and eventually helped him become a professional.
2: I started watching this show on, on Showtime called Action, where it talks about all the most successful sports gamblers. And they've talked about a lot of the people have interviewed. They've talked about how they don't. Some of them don't even know any of the athletes. Where they could barely name six players in the NFL, and but they'll put all this money in in these games because a lot of it's based on statistical data. Which yeah, which amazes me.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then uh, I I don't know what Holzauer's professional career outside of Jeopardy has been like, but. Uh, based on his performance on the show, it's you gotta think he's he does pretty successful at that as well. So just quick predictions right now. Jennings, seventy four straight episodes. Does Holzauer break that mark?
1: Ooh, that's a tough call. But based on the way he's been winning so far, if anyone's gonna do it, it's gonna be
0: him. So
2: I'm
1: gonna go with yeah. I'm gonna go with the over.
2: I'm going to go yes, just because I want it to happen. That's the only reason.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I would love to see that happen, but that just feels like such a long time to keep going. I'm going to say no, but I really hope he keeps going as long as possible. And I think he's going to smash the two and a half million that Jennings won, even if it's not in 75 episodes. Brad Rutter, the most all-time in winnings, four million seven hundred eighty-eight thousand four hundred thirty-five. Now that includes playing in some of, like the Tournament of Champions, where I think the prize money is a lot higher. So if Holzhauer gets those opportunities, I think he's going to be the most successful in terms of wealth accrued in Jeopardy history. So should be fun to, to keep see how how he keeps doing and uh, certainly wowing all of us through his first few weeks on the show. So let's move on to our final segment, and that is the top five. And this past weekend, we had Avengers Endgame release, the the finale in that series, the 22nd of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And on May 4th, it's Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. So... Two of the biggest movie franchises ever, and because of that, uh, in this week, or er, we are going to count down our favorite film franchises in today's top five.
1: Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five.
0: So, Brian, why don't you get us started?
2: All right, so in terms of my favorite uh, movie franchises, my for my number five, I went with the men in black. And for those who don't know who the men in black are uh, it stars, Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith and Will Smith enters this government agency uh, that protects the planet earth uh, from aliens that are disguised as humans. And I was a fan of all three movies and uh, I, I love Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones as actors. And, uh, so I went with that as my number five for now in terms of men in black, I've heard that there, are uh, rumors about doing a crossover with my number four, my number four, I went with jump street, 21 and 22 jump street. And I'm sure pretty much any listen anyone's listening has seen jump, Sh- jump street, but for anyone who hasn't seen the, the movie series, it has Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill who are best buds, but in high school they're not. It shows the clips of, of them one being the popular kid in school and Channing Tatum's character, and then Jonah Hill is the nerd, and uh, showing how their high school experience does not go as well as planned, and then skips over to them uh, becoming police officers and uh, being partners and becoming best friends, and to the point where they're <laughs> they. They'd go as undercover cops back to high school where uh, they have to catch the the, the dealer and uh, as much as I love the the first one and whenever we look at movie series we always say oh the first one's way better and then the, the other the second and the third one there were just okay or they were really bad you can make a case 22 jump Street was just as good uh, as 21 jump Street and in 21 and 22 jump Street they instead of being an undercover in high school, they were undercover in college. And, uh, there are some amazing moments in that movie as well. And, uh, it's the one series where you can make a case. I'm sure there are other series as well, but in my, from everything I've watched, it's the one, uh, where you can make a case. The second one was better than the first one. And then for my number three, this is the other movie series where I could make a case. The second one was better than the first. My number three is home alone. Uh, Apparently, there was a Home Alone 3 without Macaulay Culkin, but I've really? seen parts of it. And yeah, so so you know how in Home Alone 1 and 2, there are two bad guys, uh, and one's Joe Pesci, and the other's Daniel Stern. In the third movie, it's not even Macaulay Culkin, and then there are like four bad guys uh, they are trying to break into the house, and it was just... Super super cheesy, but I'm not including. So, so
1: it's four bad guys trying to break into an empty house.
2: Yeah, no, with the with the <laughs> Macaulay Culkin kid in the third movie, and and it was just really really bad. But I'm not including the third one, uh, in this. I'm just including the Macaulay Culkin versions, where in the first one his family goes off to the to the vacation in Florida, but they forget to bring they forget to bring Kevin on the flight, and he's, he ends up being home alone and uh he ends up at the end of the movie taking out Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern's characters but in the second one they go on a trip again but this time no but they do bring Kevin but he ends up on the wrong flight and he ends up facing them uh, in lost in the city of New York for my number 2 I went with the Die Hard series I didn't I hated the die, I hated Die Hard 5 but Die Hard 1 through 4 I I was I loved and Die Hard 1 do you guys think it's a Christmas
1: movie? What is your opinion on that?
0: Yes, it's a Christmas movie.
1: Believe it or not, I have never seen Die Hard, so I don't have an opinion on this. Oh man, okay. Uh,
2: I think I can make a case for both, but I've never, I've never taken, I opi- never taken a side on whether Die Hard, uh, Die Hard One is a Christmas movie or not. It, it, it takes. I think place it's funny on... to
0: say it's a Christmas movie. Yeah, I, t- it least. takes
2: place on Christmas, but there's nothing really christmas about it. i mean i guess he's john McClane. he saves christmas die hard 2 he technically saves christmas again at the airport and and then die hard 3 and 4 are also amazing uh so i went with the die hard series is my number two my number one i went with toy story it's everyone's childhood uh it it's yeah, there's so many so many great uh moments in the series toy story 1 woody's getting Uh, used to buzz and not liking him at first and then you know comes around to him and they end up being best pals in the second movie woody gets taken away and buzz ends up uh him and the rest of the gang try to uh attempt to get back get woody back home and then the third movie at the end of toy story 3 it's the one movie where i can admit that i cried like for for 20 minutes basically it was, it has the saddest absolute saddest ending of a movie i've ever seen uh where woody finally says goodbye to andy and uh, i'm glad i watched that movie in 3d with my glasses because everyone would have seen me cry in the theaters <laughs> if, if if it was men
1: men can cry men can cry it's good to show your emotions Brian. i salute you for crying at the end of a movie that deserves tears
2: yeah it, it's definitely the best so i went with toy story is my number one
0: all right, so I'll go next, and uh, I'll start off with my number five, and that is the Dark Knight trilogy. I've never been a huge superhero fan, but I, I think the Dark Knight is just, just a phenomenal series, and Heath Ledger plays an amazing Joker, and he might not even be the best villain in this series because Bane just becomes such a iconic character in The Dark Knight Rises, just all-around great great series um so there, that i gotta give them a shout out here number four harry potter i know it's a book franchise as well but you can't have harry potter and the greatness it is without the film franchise without having daniel radcliffe taking on this role of harry potter and putting him uh in front of us on the big screen eight movies when you divide the the seventh book into two parts i loved reading him as a kid i love watching the movies and and i gotta put them in here at number four number that was three. my next question yeah like if yeah. you
2: did you if you read the books and did, which one did you like more the movies or the books i'm assuming you read like the books more if it has way more information
0: yeah yeah i i would i would say so mm-hmm. um but okay I'll, I'll move on my number three brian's number one toy story uh, so I know Brian was making a few comments about some movies that he thinks the second one is better than the first. I think Toy Story two is better than Toy Story one. The original, it was the original Pixar movie, uh, the the first one that started this iconic franchise, and it's in itself. And you're never too old to appreciate Pixar movies. But as a kid, I loved the first Toy Story, and I really loved the second one. Uh, just thought the uh, bringing in some of the characters that particularly jesse and sinky pete uh just just expanded upon that you know first movie and helped set another us thing, up down the road for uh, yeah
2: another thing i forgot to mention toy story 4 is coming out this toy summer,
0: story yeah it? yeah exactly i don't is know
2: a, i don't know if i want to watch it if it ends up being bad because toy story 3 the ending of that it should just official. like that's 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 the end but toy story 3 could have been a toy ending. Story 4. Uh, I will only watch it if I hear enough good reviews. Because I I just want to have that ending of Andy leaving, and
1: that's it. Yeah. Toy Story 4 Endgame. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh, (laughs) Defeats
1: the evil emperor of Zerg. That's what will happen.
0: (laughs) Buzz Lightyear, he's an iconic character in his own right.
1: Um, He is. He is. And he has his own cinematic universe. The... uh, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, it was a cartoon series that was like a spinoff of, like, not Buzz from the movies, but the character that Buzz is the toy of, and it was actually pretty epic, and Zurg is a good villain. In my in my
2: elementary school yearbook, uh, we were required to give these baby pictures, and mine was uh, me in my Buzz Lightyear cos- costume for Halloween, and... I got a mil- I got millions of Buzz Lightyear jokes the rest of that year. <laughs> it was a mistake to make that my baby picture in elementary school in the yearbook. Every time nice. I'd walk in the hallway, to infinity and beyond.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> I was a little kid, I used to say that in Spanish because I used to watch all the Disney movies in Spanish. And I'd watch, uh, I'd do, a infinito y más allá. <laughs> I do love Spanish
2: Buzz and Toy Story 3 near the end of that movie. <laughs> that was so great.
0: All right uh, numero dos for me I got <laughs> I, I got Shrek and so the the first Shrek movie phenomenal uh, just no other weird words to really describe what they were able to do uh, with just this this whole concept of fairy tales. you got this this ogre who in all other uses of ogres as a villain. And they're able to pull him off as this awesome hero, just an all-around funny series. You got Donkey coming in as a, the perfect sidekick, of course, Princess Fiona. And here's another one where I I love Shrek 2. I think the second one is better than the first for sure. Uh, the the big thing with the sequel, that to make it better than the first, you have to bring in characters who just... You almost say, wow, like, why are we just now being introduced to them? Puss in Boots, just a, an unbelievable addition. And of course, you throw in uh, the fairy godmother and Prince Charming on the, the other side of the, the villainous um, exploits that they have to try to break up Shrek and Fiona. The third and the fourth movies, not as great, but Shrek has stood the test of time to be able to be recognized just with half of its, its series, film franchise being phenomenal.
1: I love Prince Charming so much. Shrek 2 is phenomenal.
2: I guess I'm yeah. in the minority. that sh- I like Shrek 1 the most. And then- no, no, I, we're in the minority. I, I, <laughs> oh, yeah, <well>. I, <laughs> true. I'm in minority I, um, between you guys, but yeah, maybe
1: minority <laughs> in general. Well, generally. no, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, think, I, I don't know. I don't like to say that one is better than the other. I used to say that Shrek 1 is better than Shrek 2, but I just think together they are just so amazing. I don't think Shrek 2 is possible without Shrek 1. So uh, I think you mm-hmm. I don't want. Well, to he, I mean, he
2: does get Shrek married did. to Fiona in Shrek one
1: and then brings well, her to right. But they, Shrek more to ambitious. His, her family. Yeah, like Shrek yeah. two is more ambitious, but Shrek yes. two wouldn't have been even attempted if Shrek wasn't, wasn't so massively successful. So oh, yeah. I, I think that together they are definitely amazing and definitely worthy of
0: your number two. Yep, they, they are my number two. Wait, wait,
1: hold on. So you're cutting it at two, right? You're cu- you're cutting it at Shrek 2 because I know you're not including Shrek the third in your number two best movie franchises. No, or are you? No. Yeah, Corey, are you
0: making the case for Shrek the third? No, no, I'm not. Like I said, the, the third and the fourth are not as good. I thought the third was okay, but they, they could have stopped at two, but they were so successful they might as well have kept going. That's that's how great you are, that you can have two terrible sequels and you're still considered awesome. Wow. So That's high praise. Yeah, yes. But, you know, while I stop Shrek at number two, I will not stop my top five at number two, and I will do my number one, and there may be some recency bias in here, because I just saw Endgame yesterday, but number one is Avengers, I'm not gonna give any spoilers, but... I Like I kind of said earlier with Dark Knight, I've never been a huge superhero fan. I've never been someone who needs to see every single superhero movie. I never kind of dressed up in costumes as a kid, read comics or anything. In my junior year of high school, my social studies, U.S. history teacher kind of stopped caring at the end of the year. Jumped on uh, a field trip for my class to go see Avengers, just left in the middle of the school day. And it was probably a movie I wasn't going to see otherwise. Just, like I said, never really something that I, I go on my way for. But I loved it. And then from there, I just continued to see all of them. And by the time Endgame rolled around, I was like, I, I had to see it as soon as possible. It's just unreal how they they're able to bring in so many stars. Not even just star superheroes, but star actors and actresses who are used to having their own number one lead roles. And they're just noteworthy outside of this universe yet they can all come together and just form this amazing team of people of uh, you know heroes and uh there's just there's so much i could say i could keep going on but like i said i don't want to go into any kind of spoilers with this so number one the avengers movies
1: all right and for my top five, I'll get started at number five, which well, with the original Star Wars movies, the uh, episodes four, five, and six, the original trilogy. Uh, because and I and I I mean you could throw in the prequels. I like the prequels too, but honestly, I'm just not a fan of the newer stuff. So we'll leave that out of this conversation. Um, Star Wars, just one of the most amazing franchises, like a huge cult hit. Everybody loves Star Wars. It, it's I mean back in the day, I used to be one of those people who was like you haven't seen Star Wars, you know, like it was just a part of popular culture that everyone experienced. And, um, I don't think anyone had ever done it like they did it before. Like start when a Star Wars movie came out, it was a, it was an event. And, um, and I think it's important that we, you know, respect what they did, uh, what George Lucas has done with creating this universe. So Star Wars at my number five, again, I don't know if this holds up completely. Like that's why I have to make sure I let you guys know. I cut it off after episode six, because I, as, much, as popular as they still are, I think the quality has dropped off tremendously, and uh, they're even, some of them are uh, quite difficult to watch, uh, so that's where I'll leave it, that's why they're number five, they could have been higher, but those newer movies, okay, number four, Lord of the Rings, and this one, it, it's been a while since I've actually watched all three movies in their entirety, they are quite long, uh, but they are quite good, and um, with, again, no spoilers, but... Game of Thrones is known for having some amazing medieval action and medieval, uh, you know, drama and all that stuff happening. But I think Lord of the Rings was the first time I really experienced that on this on a big screen, and uh, it's it's just iconic. When I my parents didn't let me watch PG thirteen movies until I was thirteen years old, and on my thirteenth birthday and the two days. After that, I watched these three movies with my dad, and it was freaking amazing, and uh, I need to revisit them. I need to set it aside two days or something so that I have enough time to watch them, but uh, Lord of the Rings, definitely an iconic movie franchise. Number three... Back to the Future. Back to the Future is actually really good. I know number three, it's like, it's a Western, so it's kind of weird, but I think Back to the Future has consistent quality from front to back. Episode one is a classic. Episode two, or episodes, I'm still on Star Wars. Uh, back to the Future one is really, it's iconic and everybody, like, it's very heavily referenced in popular culture even today. The, the sequel, back, uh, back to the Future two, was just as good as one in my opinion which is tough to do a lot of times sequels fall short and it is kind of the same movie but instead of going to the past they go to the future but still uh, really amazing and it's it's almost better because it's so similar to the first one because now you get to see it from the future perspective and then uh, again the third one is also kind of similar to one and two but it's a western and i guess you got to give them some credit for ambition and switching it up but uh all together very quality films and one of my favorite movie franchises number two I, I, we've already I, heard no, no go oh, ahead. ahead go ahead
2: no 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 go ahead go ahead oh, Okay. i, would, I was two. just gonna talk about, i was just gonna talk about how in back to the future the first movie if i could if 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 i could learn how to play guitar i would want to do the johnny Be good <laughs> that's the song yes. i would want to learn i, and I, is, I love yeah. i love that scene and another thing is if you've never heard of uh john maloney's bit on
1: back to the future it's it's definitely a must-watch as well I, I actually haven't heard his bit. I like John Mulaney, but I don't think mm. I've heard him. Talk yeah, about I'm a his
0: big movie. John Mulaney fan. I I should check that out. Also love Johnny B. Gunn. That's a song I recently really discovered, like outside of Back to the Future. That's that's a fun one. I,
2: I, I love that uh in that scene, uh his cousin, like, oh, Chuck, it's your cousin Marvin Barry. Like, <laughs> if you need someone, <laughs> if you need some new tunes, listen to this. And then, yeah. So apparently, so apparently, Michael J. Fox made Johnny be good and not, and not uh, Chuck Barry. Yeah.
1: Right. It, I mean, yeah. even that whole that scene is super iconic, and it referenced in you know every adult cartoon, like The Simpsons or I, Family I, Guy, whatever. I even love
2: the I even love the fail ending where. Um, I guess you guys aren't ready for that, but your kids are going to love it. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Like, all that stuff is so good, so creative. Yeah. And um, it, it's, yeah, it's great. So definitely my number three. Number two, we've already heard about this one uh, from Corey, but the Dark Knight trilogy is so good. Christopher Nolan is a master at his craft. And uh, I know that number two gets all the praise, but, uh, which it would just be the Dark Knight, but the... Uh, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises, also very high quality films, all together an amazing trilogy. And I it's even hard for me to label this as a superhero film, which might sound completely ludicrous, but it's... Really, they're Christopher Nolan films. And if you've seen any of his other stuff, you know what to expect. It's it's very well planned out, very interesting, and always with tremendously good actors. So altogether, I I really enjoyed this series. It's one of my favorites. If you really like Batman, check out Affable Chat's Batman Month from uh, summer 2018. It uh, We did four Batman movies from four decades, four weeks in a row. Um, just got to get that plug in there. But my number one... <laughs> is the same number one as Corey, essentially, uh, but I'll expand it beyond Avengers to just the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Never before has the world witnessed a movie franchise like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A lot of people said that superhero fatigue would set in and the entire thing would collapse in on itself. Those people were absolutely wrong. The MCU has done things that no movie franchise has even gotten close to doing. And again, no spoilers here, but the uh, the, the movies that feature Thanos as the main villain have been on another level. They are a type of movie that I never even knew was possible, and I've just been totally blown away. I mean, I am a superhero fan, so of course I'm gonna like it, but I I don't think that that's required. I think if you're just a fan of compelling cinematic uh, experiences, then these two movies are must-see films, just because they push the boundaries for what is possible in a crossover film, if you want to call it that. So the MCU, absolutely amazing. And I, I put the MCU far, far beyond any other, <coughs> any other movie franchise because not, no one even compares to what they've accomplished and will potentially continue to accomplish. So definitely the number one on my top five
0: all right so ben uh with his top five sandwiching our our two reasons for doing this this topic with avengers and star wars so uh that'll that'll wrap things up for us today Uh, as always we we encourage you to subscribe review rate uh, like comment follow us on social media on our twitter account just just uh, continue to, to show us that love and uh, help us expand our listening crowd. So, for my co-hosts, Brian Wells and Benjamin Carlson, I'm Corinne Thanks, everyone.